very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fambergas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, which you don't want to miss, you know what to do. Go to our website, VeritasRadio.com, and click on the subscribe button. You'll receive your credentials to log in immediately. Don't wait any longer. Give yourself the gift of truth. In the West, politicians and journalists of all stripes have referred to Russian President Vladimir Putin as a thug, a tyrant, a murderer, a communist, a Nazi, the next Hitler, and more. But amongst the Russian people, his popularity rating has reached levels as high as 85%. So who's right? Why such hatred for Vladimir Putin? Is it justified? Or has Putin been targeted merely for standing up to the US-EU axis of internationalism? There are parallels between the time prior to World War II and today. I will explore all of this with tonight's special guest, Michael S. King. Michael S. King is a private investigative journalist and researcher based in the New York area. A 1987 graduate of Rutgers University, King's subsequent 30-year career in marketing and advertising has equipped him with a unique perspective when it comes to understanding how public opinion is indeed scientifically manufactured. Madison Avenue marketing acumen combines with city boy instincts to make Michael S. King one of the most tenacious detectors of things that don't add up in the world today. Says King of his admitted quirks, irreverent disdain of conventional wisdom, an uncanny ability to ferret out and weave together important data points that others miss. Had Sherlock Holmes been an actual historical personage, I would have been his reincarnation, he says. King's other interests include the animal kingdom, philosophy, chess, cooking literature, cooking literature, uh, history with emphasis on events of the late 19th through the 20th century. And his latest book is titled The War Against Putin, with the government media complex isn't telling you about Russia. And to learn more about Michael S. King and his work, visit our website. We have links over there. You can buy the book that way as well. And directly from Patterson, New Jersey, I would like to welcome Michael S. King. Hello, Mike, and welcome to Veritas. Hello, Mel. It's a pleasure to be on your show. And again, that website was tomatobubble.com. Tomatobubble.com. Great. Well, Michael, it's my pleasure. Michael, you Mike, by the way. Yes. Mike, it's a pleasure having you on. And as I was telling you offline, a lot of what we're going to be discussing here tonight, I don't think, needless to say, that the mainstream media will never, never touch. But even alternative media, only perhaps a few, a few brave hoes out there are willing to discuss all of this. But the first thing that came to mind when I read the book, and I know you've been very careful when you wrote this book to keep a lot of the parallels between World War II and Hitler aside, you, you, you planted some seeds for the for those who are really awake to see the parallels. But to other people, why is it that when you when you say Putin, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, Mel, he was former KGB. So what? George H.W. Bush 41 was the CIA director. Oh, he's a commie. Look at the the economy in Russia today, so he's the least from being a communist. Why the Pavlovian reaction that most people have? Let's start from there. 
Well, uh, most of what people know or think they know uh, does not really come from uh, true instruction or education. It's indoctrination and it's brainwashing. And it's Pavlovian, as you say. This is what the press repeats over and over and over again. And in time, when someone continues to hear this rubbish without being exposed to another point of view, it just embeds it itself in their psyches, and they just repeat without thinking. And you know, uh, you know, it was Hitler who once said, "What good fortune for rulers that men do not think." And he was saying this as a criticism of the uh, situation of his day. But very few people think. They only react. And and that's why these false beliefs about Putin have become, to a large extent, embedded in the minds of most people. It's no surprise that Western media, as you say, manufactures reality. But the problem I have with that is that most people do not even question it even in the 21st century with the internet with so many different sources why is that mike because independent thought requires a little bit of work and it's just a natural uh, inclination of the human mind to take the past path of least resistance uh, people simply um, do not like to think uh, and that's especially the case in this day and age um, you know it's an odd paradox at the same time that we have this miraculous tool for research that is the internet uh people's ability to think and apply their thought process is also diminished because they want everything instantaneous um but all that is really required to see through these these monstrous mendacities that are being put forth about putin and about so many other events is for people to just think to do a little bit of thinking it's not that difficult. These lies are very transparent. Um, but, you know, the, the conditioning has been not to think. And then when when someone is presented with the truth um, from someone else who has this capacity of independent thought, we're, we're often dismissed as lunatics in their primitive, simplistic minds. So this is the, the result of decades of deliberate scientific programming. It's not by accident that so many of our fellow citizens uh, operate on the intellectual level of zombies. I think of uh, the father of mother, modern propaganda, Edward Bernays, how all of this has been happening all the way, I would say, since World War I. But let's go to the, the, the man of the hour, as we call him, Putin. Tell us his background, his origins, for somebody who has been, who has uh, between 70 and 80% approval rating, it's important for us to know of his beginnings. Can you tell us? Well, he began as, um, well, he graduated from a, a chemistry institute. Uh, it, was, it was a high school. The, the specialty there was uh, uh, chemistry, which I point out in my book is probably the equivalent of attaining a bachelor's degree at an American right. university in chemistry. And from from then on, he studied uh, economics. Uh, he learned he's fluent in the German language. He's conversant in French and English as as well. He holds a black belt in judo. So he's, he's a very dynamic individual who possesses that rare combination of you know an intellect. And yet, at the same time, he's a man's man. He's a, he has a law and degree. Outdoorsman. He has a law degree and a PhD and a doctorate degree, a PhD. In economics, Com in law. In, in, oh, which one is the PhD? Right. The the uh, the P the PhD is in uh, law, and then the degree is in economics. economics. Compare that to our our precedent here. What 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 do we really know? What his background is? Well, we have a professor at Columbia University who was a legend there, taught for fifty years, and this is a liberal Democrat, no less, who. who came out years ago, he says it would have been impossible for uh, any anyone going through the course of studies that Obama did, did not have come through his class. He knows everyone who's ever become a congressman, a governor, or a senator, and he insists that there was no Barack Obama who attended Columbia University. He goes on to say that even some of his peers believe this. Of course, uh, they being far younger than, than he uh, have not come forward publicly to say this, but you know this gentleman 
he's probably about 90 years old now, so he doesn't care. So we don't know if he went to Columbia. Uh, and if he didn't go to Columbia, he certainly didn't go to Harvard. And we don't know who, who could have paid for these expensive schools. Uh, we don't know who his roommates were. We don't know who his uh, uh, girlfriends were. Uh, we do have some uh, knowledge of some young men that tickled his fancy, but we, we know nothing else of the man. So it is quite a contrast. And the, and the same with George Bush and the same with uh, John McCain, who graduated, uh, I think it was 801 out of 803 cadets yeah. at West Point. <laughs> so, you know, you look at the intellectual level. And how many planes you know, did he crash? Politicians. Well, as far as I know, uh, at least three. Uh, one of them was from hot dogging crashed into some power lines in Spain on, on another occasion uh, when he was shot down over Vietnam, he, he broke his arms. He, he forgot his basic training. He forgot to tuck his arms in as he ejected, broke both of them. And then he allowed a legend to spread about his arms having been broken during torture sessions, which is actually not true. Um, but you could go down the list of America's leading politicians in Europe. And I call them uh, pygmies. I mean, intellectually, morally, uh, they're pygmies. And compared to Putin, I mean, he, he stands out like a giant uh, among them. And I believe that's also one of the motivations for some of the hatred directed at him from our political class. I think part, part of it is he triggers a, uh, an inferiority complex uh, within him. So he's definitely a first-rate uh, intellect, um, you know, black belt in, in judo, very, just a very accomplished uh, man's man is a very special human being. And I, I, I think the ultimate testimony to that is the degree of filth that is heaped upon his head by the American media. That alone tells you uh, what kind of man it is. Simply reverse what the press tells you, and nine, 99 out of 100 times you'll arrive at the truth. I'm looking at a, an article from the uh, Washington Times here. It says... Mr. Putin obtained a Ph.D. in economics in 1997 from the St. Petersburg Mining Institute. So, oh, that, yeah, that, that's right. And, and and unlike our our uh, Ph.D. Econom economists who come out of Harvard, uh, Mr. Putin evidently truly learned something of value as opposed to half-baked Keynesian theories of printing money endlessly and expecting prosperity. Because uh, under his stewardship, uh, Russia has emerged from the pit of despair to rapid economic growth and, and development. It's, um, and it has to do a lot with the policies that he instituted. And these are very pro-business, pro-market policies. I mean, one would think that the Republicans here in America would love Mr. Putin and point to him as an example of what happens when you have uh, tax cuts and cuts in the bureaucracy and free commerce. Uh, but no, they ignorantly refer to him as, as a commie when the Russian economy is far freer than any other economy in Europe, has the lowest tax rates uh, in Europe. Uh, and I summarize in my book some of these economic reforms. But he's, he's definitely an advocate of the market so he evidently learned something in his economics courses. So his PhD actually means something. When you have uh, Gerard Depardieu <laughs> relinquishing from his French uh, or European Union citizenship because the the tax rate for him is about 70-some percent, and in Russia they have a flat tax of 13%. And when you look also at the people who say, oh, Putin, he's just a commie, I cannot believe the level of ignorance of people saying that when you look at the GDP ratio in the United States being 100%, U.S. debt to GDP ratio, that is, France, 90%, the U.K., 90%, Germany, after Hitler, 80%, and Russia, get this, 11%. So if we have somebody in the world states to learn from right now, when it comes to the economics, it will be Vladimir Putin. Uh, that's that's right. Uh, and when you consider uh, not only the damage that 70 years of communism did to the Soviet Union, but the 10 years of Yeltsinism, which compounded that, uh, to, to go from where they were to where they are now, 
and don't get me wrong, they still have problems. They still have a way to go. Uh, but they are definitely on the right course. It's um, nothing short of, well, it's, it's almost a miraculous uh, recovery. I was surprised to learn throughout the course of my research that uh, Russia today has a booming private uh, medical insurance industry. But 15% of Russians now rely exclusively upon private health care. An additional 60% of Russians use a private system for basic stuff. Maybe the more expensive procedures, they still re rely on the state system. But what is happening is Russia is year after year, private health care is expanding, becoming more affordable and of a world-class quality. Uh, meanwhile, the state system is slowly uh, fading away. So they're going in the exact opposite direction of free, I use that in quotes, America. So here we are rushing to embrace socialism, full-blown communism even, and Russia's moving in the other direction. And to hear these fools say, well, Putin's a commie, Putin's KGB, it would be comical if it's not so dangerous in its, um, uh, in its implications, because I, it, this is exactly how the 1930s played out. That's right. It was a war of words, and then it was a war of sanctions. Um, and I'm just hoping to shed a little light, a little clarity here. How ironic that we are the ones who are moving into socialism, and they're the ones moving into more of a, of a measured way of capitalism. Because even Putin has said, "Look, I don't, I don't mind people who 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 are successful. I don't mind businesses that make a lot of money. What I mind is the monopolies. What I mind is the oligarchy that you know ensued after or during Yeltsin." Well, that's right. I mean. Uh... With the fall of communism and the, the rise of Yeltsinism, uh, Russia was absolutely raped. And it wasn't merely the, the folly or the ineptitude of Boris Yeltsin. You have to understand that Yeltsin himself was completely and utterly controlled, dominated by Western forces. Uh, what happened is after the uh, fall of the Berlin Wall and all that, uh, Russia turned to the United States for help in transitioning from a command and control economy to a market economy, so-called. So we sent all these hot shots from Harvard and the, the medicine was worse than the original disease. Well, what happened is, is Russia experienced a false privatization. It was not a transition to a market economy. In, instead, state enterprises were transferred to private individuals, almost all of them Zionists, and we took over entire industries for pennies on the dollar or even for free. And thus the state was ch choked off and deprived of revenues. And you had a handful of gangsters who overnight became billionaires and then multi, multi, multi billionaires. They bought up the press. They bought up the government. Uh, I mean, it was a nightmare. There's no exaggeration, uh, exaggerating. The, the horrors that the, the Russian people experienced during the Yeltsin years. And, uh, you know, Yeltsin, by the time he left office, he had a 2% uh, approval rating. But this was the West boy. This was Wall Street's boy, Boris Yeltsin, Wall Street, Ivy League. In fact, Mel, there were many of these Ivy League hotshots uh, were embedded in the Yeltsin government itself. They had offices there in the Kremlin that they worked out of. So, the, I mean, the, the country was invaded by economic hitmen from the West and, uh, and raped, deliberately so. So it's important for people to, 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 to have this context in mind before they even begin to attempt to understand what's going on today. But unfortunately, people's memory is only month to month, week to week even. We'll come back to Putin in a moment, but let me go back to the time when Joseph Stalin died and then Nikita Khrushchev took over. And he was perceived as somebody a little bit more moderate and to make uh, people happy in certain parts of the, the Soviet republics, I believe it was Crimea, where he actually ceded that from Russia to the Republic of Ukraine, which was part of the Soviet Union. But he was always 
part of Russia before. The eastern part of Crimea or, or Crimea was most, it's Russian. So now we have Russia trying to get it back because of the, 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 what's happening in Crimea. They are told the world, the media is telling us that the Russians invaded Crimea. How in the world did they do that if Crimea is an island? Well, that's right. And I uh, illustrate that in my book. It's uh, Russia does not share a land border with Crimea. It's essentially an island. There's a tiny, oh, maybe 10 mile strip of land that connects it to Ukraine. So it's, it's a peninsula, but there is no border with Russia. Uh, so you, we heard all of these references to the Russian invasion. I mean, if you Google Russia invades Crimea, uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of results will come up, but they, they don't share a border. How could they have invaded? Uh, there was no airborne invasion, uh, a la Normandy. Nobody even alleged that. Uh, there was no amphibious invasion like D-Day. Nobody has even alleged that. So I refer to this as the immaculate invasion. <laughs> uh, so... Now, one might ask, well, what about those soldiers that we saw deploying in the streets of Crimea? Who were they? Well, those were the uh, defense units of Crimea itself, the equivalent of the National Guard, who are, who are Russian and pro-Russian. And, and, and they deployed in order to prevent another phony CIA spontaneous uprising in, in, in Crimea. Uh, there were also 20,000 Russian troops who were already based there as part of the treaty. But there's no evidence that they even activated. So there wasn't even an invasion. There was just a deployment of Crimean National Guard. And it was followed a few weeks later by a referendum with international observers in which 97% of the Crimeans uh, voted to, to return to Russia. They want no part of that NATO puppet, a gangster government that was violently installed in, in, in Kiev. So you, know, you talk about self-determination. Uh, I mean, this was a, a classic case of self-determination. There was no conquest of Crimea. They voluntarily merged themselves uh, with Russia, of which they were always a part of anyway. Uh, but, you know, you talk to your average reader of the New York Times and they'll tell you that, well, Putin just bided his time and then invaded Crimea. That's... Uh, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's not even an embellishment. It's a total fabrication. Yeah, and they had uh, 20-some thousand troops there anyway legally. Uh, they had their, their base there from the Black Sea as well. But the reason why I bring the Crimea part of, of the interview is because it, I want to go back to the 19th, uh, well, before, uh, World War One after Germany lost the First World War. Part of that, uh, 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 the, the treaty was that they would lose a portion of Germany to Poland, a portion completely populated by Germans. And then when the 1930s came along, a lot of them were being killed, mistreated, and uh, Hitler wanted to do something about it. And of course, it was a setup by Britain and France to start World War II. Do you see the parallel here between that portion of, of uh, Poland and what's happening in Ukraine right now with Putin? Oh, it's not only a parallel. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a rerun. It's the exact uh, template. The exact template. The, the similarities are astonishing. Uh, you know, as, as you said, they, they created, they gave Poland the homeland, and they just took ch a chunk of Germany, the heart of Germany, mind you, West, uh, the Western Prussia. And this right. was really the found, the early foundation of the Prussian empire, which later became the German Reich. They gave Western Prussia to Poland. There was a massive, massive ethnic cleansing of Germans who were told, you know, get out with the clothes on your back. Uh, there was several million, a couple million Germans at least had to leave their, their homeland. Uh, and then what this did, Mel, is it isolated Eastern Prussia from the rest of the German mainland, as well as the city of Danzig, right. was a, totally a German uh, city. And this new gangster state in Poland, which just like current Ukraine was a gangster puppet state, uh, they weren't satisfied with that. They, they immediately began to uh, encroach and, and attack Germany proper, seeking more land. A lot of people don't know this, but it's the truth. Throughout the early 20s, there were a series of border wars 
well, I don't know if you call them wars, but maybe they were enhanced skirmishes, but there was fighting and killing between uh, the remnants of the German troops and the new Polish government. Poland demanded more land. I mean, there was a whole pattern of Polish uh, imperialism backed by Britain and France to gain more territory. And this finally culminated in the late 1930s when they really became, when Poland really became aggressive was in 1939 when Britain and France uh, extended war guarantees to Poland. They said, listen, if war breaks out between you and Germany, we got your back. And that's when the Poles really began uh, to push uh, Germany. They, they actually, there, I mean, there were actually Germans in Poland who had been stranded there after the uh, redrawing of the uh, borders after World War One. Uh, I mean, people were killed. The city of Danzig was cut off. You had uh, Polish imperialists openly speaking about Danzig belongs to Poland. And today, in fact, it is Gdansk, Poland. Uh, so this culminated finally with Germany being baited. They had no choice but to go into Poland. And when you look at the series of provocations that Hitler tolerated in 1939, uh, far from being an aggressor, uh, I was impressed by the degree of forbearance which he showed towards Poland. So he did everything. He moved heaven and high earth to avoid war with Poland the whole time Britain was instigating. And we now know, this was not known at the time, but we now know that FDR also had a hand in this. Uh, he was urging the Poles, telling the Polish ambassador and foreign minister, don't make any deals with Hitler. Don't worry, England and France got your back. That's right. Uh, and, and so that's, that's how World War... And, and now Ukraine is being used. Uh, they're being played the fool. And so is Poland, once again, by the way. Um, they're being played for their fools. Uh, their only purpose is to instigate Russia. And they've probably been promised some sort of empire or territory or, or, or bribed or who, who knows what delusions have been put in their head. But we now see Ukraine... And to a lesser extent, Poland, Latvia, Estonia, these little weak countries uh, sticking their finger in Putin's eye. Okay? You know they could not do this. They would not do this unless they had a big brother behind them. And that's NATO. So the, the parallels are, like I said, it's not a parallel. It's a replay of the same formula. Let's stay. Let's Just stay. Let's stay with the rerun. Better more than a parallel. You're right. It's a rerun. You know, back in in the, the 1930s, uh, Stalin and Germany they they both signed a a, a peace treaty after the World War One. How many times did Stalin break that peace treaty? And the reason why I bring this up is because in 1989, the reason why. The former Soviet Union via Gorbachev accepted the German unification was because NATO promised not to extend one single inch, inch east, eastward. Now, that is definitely changing too, isn't it? Oh, yes. I mean, because, you know, with the German reunification, if Eastern Germany was to become part of Germany, uh, well, that naturally. Uh, necessarily entailed an eastward expansion of NATO. Uh, and understandably, that was a concern for Gorbachev, but that, that's why that promise was made. Don't worry, this is it. There won't be any more expansion. Well, that turned out to be a lie. Uh, in 1999, um, NATO accepted uh, Poland and Czechoslovakia. And since that time, that, that, it, it later expanded beyond the former Eastern Bloc now it includes former Soviet republics that are right on Russia's border. Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, uh, uh, Moldova. Now there's talk of in incorporating Georgia and Ukraine. So, um, and even if they're not formally admitted as NATO members, for all intents and purposes now, Ukraine and Georgia, uh, in light of the defense guarantees that have been given to them, uh, uh, in essence, they are NATO. So this war-making organization now stretches from the Baltic Sea in the north all the way down to the Black Sea, across the entire Russian front. 
and Russia's not supposed to be pissed off about this? Are people insane? How would we react if they uh, incorporated Canada and Mexico and Dominican Republic into uh, you know, a new version of the Warsaw Pact, armed to the teeth? So people need to put themselves in this other people's shoes and try to stop waving the flag and being so, uh, you know, objective or subjective rather. There's more than one side of the story. And believe me, it's not what CNN or Fox or any of those triple letter news uh, channels tell you. But, you know, my parents left Cuba after the missile crisis. And when we think of, oh, my goodness, the Soviets put Cuban, I mean, missiles in Cuba 90 miles away from our shores. How dare they? But it was us before who placed missiles pointing at Russia in Turkey. Why is it that whenever a nation reacts to our aggression, we always become the saviors, the winners? Well, now, this is one of the true hallmarks of the psychopath slash sociopath. It's the same with individuals as it is with group psychology of nations. Uh, you know, we've all come across true sociopaths in our life who... Uh, can never see the damage that they do. It's always the other guy's fault. And we, as a country, America, the exceptional nature nation, we've developed this uh, this character trait, this this unfortunate character trait. We can never see what we do wrong anymore. Um, and, and and yes, I mean, this is not to defend Khrushchev or the old Soviet Union, but. Any nation has a right to uh, defend itself. So we were not at war. And, you know, there was an understanding. There was no threat of hostilities at that time between, I mean, despite what the propagandists would have you believe, uh, the Cold War was really, there was never much of a threat of us going to a direct confrontation with Russia unless we initiated it. Uh, but, they have every right, communist or not, Soviet Union or not, to be concerned about the missiles that were placed in Turkey. So they responded by placing them in Cuba. Uh, and that's the truth about the Cuban uh, missile crisis. Uh, and quietly through backdoor negotiations, Kennedy ordered the removal of the missiles uh, in Turkey. I'm always surprised that... Uh, but we see this... Go ahead. Now, I, I was just saying, we, we see this time and time again uh, you know, the U.S. can just do whatever the hell it bloody wants um, and then point fingers at other countries for far lesser uh, offenses. And, and, and nobody sees this. I mean, my goodness, look what we did to Baghdad. Look what we did to Libya. How many people have we killed and bombed and starved and sanctioned to death? And, you know, I always ask people when they attack Putin, I say, how many countries has Putin bombed? Do you know? How many children has he drone bombed and killed? And they have this blank look on their face. Yeah, because you're hacking their logic. The hypocrisy is astonishing. <laughs> you're hacking yeah. you're hacking their logic. They they give you the the deer in the headlights and they just put their fingers in their ears, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear any more because you're hacking their reality. And you know, I see it. I see it on Facebook. I see it uh, in social gatherings. Everybody's parroting what the media is telling them. And I hate to say it, folks. But look at Germany, the agreement that they have. And most people don't know about this. I used to think this was science fiction. But until the year 2099, this is part of the, the agreement after the war was over, all media, publishing, TV, is controlled by us, by the Allies. They have no right to that. So whatever you see happening in Germany is sort of pure propaganda. I mean, look at what's happening in Germany right now. Merkel is criticizing Putin. But it's okay to have these erotic zoo places where people can have sex with animals. That is disgusting. It's bestiality to the nth degree. And it's okay in Germany to do that. Yeah, that's, that, that's right. Uh, you know, that sanctimonious wench, uh, you know, she, uh, she browbeat Putin over the treatment of these uh, uh, deranged uh, whores of pussy riot who stormed a uh, cathedral during services and began belting out obscene lyrics. Uh, and they had so many other offenses. And then they mocked the court 
uh, and on and on and on. And they got they 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 were given a two year sentence. And 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 she, here she is passing judgment on Putin. Uh, mean, meanwhile, people have had to flee Germany under fear of arrest uh, for homeschooling their own children. It, okay, there's an entire family that was granted asylum in the United States because they, they feared if they went back to Germany they'd go to jail. Okay, uh, and then and then you have the erotic zoos that, that that you mentioned. These are bestiality brothels, and they're proliferating throughout Germany and other Western European countries uh, where you. A customer can go in and pay money and rape German shepherds, llamas, sheep. See, this is legal in, in, in Germany. And, and Merkel is going to cast moral judgment upon Russia for pro- protecting its, uh, its cherished cathedrals from these, these cultural terrorists. It's, uh, it, it, it's just amazing that, how sick the West is. And this is another part of the reason uh, why the, the, the Western elite despise Putin so much, because he stands for a different set of cultural values. And of course, Hillary. He's also a cultural social conservative. And of, yeah. of course, Hillary Clinton wanted a uh, photo op with uh, Pussy Riot and other people. And uh, same thing with. And, and believe me, folks, I'm, I'm not homophobic and I'm, I'm not anti Semitic. I just call things as they are. But speaking of, of homosexuals, Everybody's attacking Putin because supposedly, you know, he's attacking homosexuals and this and that. But the real reason, tell us the real reason why this came to uh, the news. Well, the, the reason is the, the, the homosexual organized activist community in Russia was proceeding exactly along the lines as it had in Europe and the United States, which is they were proselytizing, spreading propaganda, uh, affecting children. Uh, so. Uh, the, the law that was passed, the so-called anti-gay law in Russia, uh, if one only derives their information from the media, one would get the impression that uh, doors were being knocked down in the middle of the night and homosexuals were being carted off to Siberia or something. But in reality, all that the law stipulates is that you cannot spread propaganda to, to, to children. You cannot expose children under 18 to homosexual propaganda. And, and truth be told, if you ask 90% of parents in the United States, uh, you know, they would agree with that. Even liberal people in America have become concerned about this uh, proliferation of hardcore sexuality and uh, promotion of homosexuality that's going on in our schools. So Russia doesn't want to go down that route. And that's all the law says. Putin himself said it. He says, nothing horrible is happening to homosexuals in our country. All we are saying is leave the kids alone. And that is the extent uh, of this law that has been grossly misrepresented uh, in the West. And Putin also has a moral education program for all major religious, not just for not just one. But even if you're not religious, there is an education program for agnostics and atheists. What's wrong by having a moral education program so that society can behave the way they should? Well, that's right. I, I, I mean, uh, uh, you know, morality is just like mathematics. If you don't teach it, the student is not going to learn it. And it is the underpinning of any civilized society. And now when you, when you have multi-ethnic society, multi-religious society, you have to tread carefully. Uh, no one wants to shove uh, for example, Orthodox Christianity down the throat of a Buddhist kid. Right. I mean, let people have their own traditions. That's fine. Uh, but the genius of what Russia has instituted under Putin is that it is a a universalist universalist morality and ethics educational requirement, and you can fulfill that requirement in the context uh, of Orthodox Christianity, which is the main faith of Russia or Buddhism, or Islam, or even have a tiny minority of Judaism. And for, for those people who have a real bug up their butt, just about the mere mention of a deity and things that are divine, well, they, they can enroll their children in a secular ethics program. So one way or another, the children of Russia are going to be uh, inculcated with the good old-fashioned basics of, of morality that are common to all peoples, all civilizations, 
through all time. Now you compare and contrast that to what's being done to our children by, by, by MTV and by the, uh, the homosexual sexual education programs now proliferating in our schools. For God's sakes, in Chicago, they now have age-appropriate sex education for kindergartners. So it's not just about the dollars and cents, Mel. See, Putin is a man who understands history and culture. Uh, so he's, he's proceeding to rebuild Russia along many fronts. Uh, just a few months ago, they passed a law which bans obscenities in, in films. And, you know, of course, the, the liberals at the New York Times are upset about it, as if it's any of their business. But as recently as 1970, we had such laws here in, in America. I mean, it's gotten to the point now where you can't even take your kids to a movie theater. Even if the movie's clean, the trailers for the other movies that they show in the beginning, it, it, it's just a bombardment of, of just filth, pure filth. So Putin is standing against this whole concept of a new world order that's been, that, that's built on endless spending and money printing, but also moral degradation. So the contrast is clear. Look, look at again, I just cannot stop talking about the parallels because when uh, uh, the uh, Wilhelm the third, the, the second, when the Kaiser abdicated and all of a sudden Germany became the Weimar Republic. Talk about inflation. It took like millions of marks to buy a loaf of bread. People didn't have, you know, enough big cars to take their money so they could buy bread. Well, Hitler came to power by popular vote. People think that he just took over as a dictator. He, by popular vote, he made of Germany an example. Economic, ec the economy in Germany surfaced to the point that the entire world was looking at it. When the entire world was in depression, Germany was rising. And I guess the powers that wanted to be, uh, Europe, the United States, the United States was pretty isolationist there, but you had the media and the people in London looking at it, and that we were dragged to take Germany down. Is the same thing happening now? Russia, amongst the central banking societies that we have around the world and the, the unstable economies, wait until the derivative bubble explodes and you'll see what's coming. But is it that Russia, because of their strong economy and the way they're doing business, their GDP versus debt at 11%, we can't let that continue? Is this why we're pushing for World War Three, Mike? Well, I mean, that, that's a part of it. I mean, certainly any kind of economic system that is not entirely dependent on uh, a Rothschild family-issued debt is, is something that's anathema to the, uh, to the globalists. Um, so, I mean, he, he is standing outside or he's attempting to move outside of this globalist control uh, matrix. And to that end, he is forming alliances with other huge economies such as China and Brazil and, and India. And, and the great threat to the globalists is if you know, these other countries of the world begin to establish a degree of independence, this whole artificial structure of the new world order could come crashing uh, down. So there's definitely some big countries that are trying to move off of this reservation and, 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 and Russia and China, uh, a lot of this, the, the same type of maneuvers and machinations are being directed at China as well. Instead of Ukraine being used to antagonize uh, China, it's Japan, or it's the, which is also an occupied country, by the way. It's uh, the puppet state of Vietnam, the puppet state of Philippines. I, I mean, when you see the Philippines and Vietnam sticking their finger in the eye of China, Okay, you know once again that they've got someone behind them, or else they wouldn't be acting uh, this way. So this is the great the great danger. Uh, there's two competing world visions here. Russia and China are are leading a vision of the world, which is about you know let's cooperate, but what nations do within their own borders is essentially their business. And then the other view of the world is uh, you know everything's got to be centered out of you know London or Brussels, or New York, or whatever. So that is the, the big conflict that's, that's brewing. And, and I fear 
It's just going to take one bad move, one triggering mechanism, and we can see the whole world blow up and, and, and be at war. I'm, I'm sure there's some forces even within the West who are probably working against this, uh, but there's certainly uh, a huge momentum building towards that direction. Because remember, World War II did not start in 1939. It began in 1933, 34, 35, 36 with propaganda and with sanctions, just like we're seeing now. Absolutely. And you're right. What it, A tripwire, a fuse to be lit anytime, anytime. And let me go for a second to General Wesley Clark when he found out that we had plans to take over seven countries in five years. Now we look at Libya. That's another Pavlovian reaction when you tell people of uh, Gaddafi. Everybody tells you, oh, but he was nothing but a dictator. You obviously, people don't know the history behind Libya. It was the country in the Middle East and North Africa where everybody knew how to read. Their economy was 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 booming. People had all sorts of benefits. He used the the national patrimony oil in order to 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 spread it with society. He was helping Africa by putting fifty percent of a of a communication satellite up there. And of course, he was—he wanted to transact in a an African gold-backed uh, currency. Boom, he's out. Why is it once again that every time you say Gaddafi, people think dictator, and they think of the Lockerbie bombing? That's it. Yeah, the Lockerbie bombing. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting, Mel. Some of the Scottish family members, okay, who attended the trial. At the end of the trip, they're public about it. They said, we don't believe that that man is guilty. The, the, the Libyan national that they pinned the Lockerbie bombing uh, on. Uh, how many people know that? Well, what possible motivation would Gaddafi have to blow up an airliner and, and antagonize uh, the superpowers of, uh, of Britain and, and America? Um, now, Oh, I don't have evidence of this, but uh, uh, if you're looking for a logical suspect uh, uh, for the Lockerbie bombing, I would look towards Israel, not towards uh, Libya. Uh, the same with the bombing in the German discotheque. I mean, again, does it mean anything to anybody that the parties that are accused of these atrocities always deny them? Gaddafi denied Lockerbie. He denied the German discotheque bombing, just like uh, bin Laden denied 9-11. Now, one might say... Oh, well, you're going to just take uh, Gaddafi's word for it? Well, no, but, you know, a, a righteous person, a reasonable person, when confronted with uh, a claim of innocence on the party that's been accused, is going to say, okay, let's have a look at the whole story. Let's dig deeper and find the truth. Everybody has a right to defend themselves. That was never afforded to Gaddafi. So no way in hell was Gaddafi behind the shoot down of that Pan Am uh, airliner. I'm certain. Uh, uh, of that. But again, we talked earlier about the Pavlovian conditioning. That doesn't matter. All you have to do is throw the accusation out there enough times. So when people hear the name Gaddafi, they think, oh, Lockerbie. They hear the name Hitler, they think, oh, gas chambers. They hear Putin, they think, oh, he invaded Crimea. Doesn't matter that all of it is false. Once you make that psychological con connection, that wiring in the brain, uh, it's very difficult to, to unplug. Absolutely. And if anyone is interested in, in what transpired with the Lockerbie bombing, listen to my interview with former Congressman Jim Trafficant, who paid a big price and he was put in jail for something that he didn't do. But, um, you know, we were funding ISIS in Syria until recently. People wonder, oh, Mel, come on now. Look at the pictures. Even McCain, his picture, he has a photo up with them. Now we're bombing them in Iraq. Now, if ISIS is so against our Western principles, I'm very curious, why aren't they attacking Israel? Yeah. And uh, why did Al just like Al-Qaeda never quite got around to attacking Israel either. Isn't it interesting that these, these Muslim terrorist boogeymen that seem to sprout up overnight, they always seem to target the enemies of Israel, you see? Uh, now, this is not to say that, you know, all of the fighters for these terroristic mercenary armies or Mossad or CIA agents, typically the way these things work, Mel, is you get the operatives and the financing and the agents at the top, 
and then your 80% of your rank and file, uh, they're just a, a bunch of dupes. They're just a, uh, a federation of ex-cons, hired mercenaries, and some really extremist uh, radicals with some bizarre interpretation of, uh, of Islam. So, you know, your average fighter doesn't have a clue of what the big picture is. But, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, ISIS stands for Israeli Secret Intelligence Service. It might as well. I've heard that a few times. And I think if it weren't for Putin, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we would have already attacked Iran, Syria, maybe even Lebanon, and some others too. Well, that's a big part. Now, there, there's two elements of what I call the, the PRC, the predatory ruling class. There's, they're both globalists, okay, in their, in their outlook, but there's one element, the neocons, the Zionists, who have, as their number one priority is, is Israel. Uh, and there's others within the establishment who don't see that as a priority. They kind of see the whole situation as a, uh, as a problem, really. Uh, but the, the Zionist element of the ruling class, and by Zionist, I mean those who, who seek to expand Israel's borders in, in the region, uh, they, they want that holy war against Syria and Iran. That's their opportunity to expand their borders uh, to what is written in their self-serving uh, Torah, uh, the promised landing between the Nile and the Euphrates. And that we, almost, we were almost at war a year ago, as you recall. And it was Putin and China that came in and played a very strong hand. Uh, they even staged war games in the Mediterranean. And that's what blocked America and NATO from initiating, <clears throat> excuse me, from initiating Israel's war. So it was back to the drawing board because evil never sleeps. Uh, so they, they created this boogeyman of ISIS. And now that is being used to entice the United States to go back into Syria and under the pretext of fighting ISIS. Now, mind you... See, hold on for a second. Uh, hold on. I don't, mean, I, I don't mean to jump in, Mike. But, yeah. you know, when, when we look at this, just a few weeks ago, we wanted to go into Syria to, to get rid of, of Bashar Assad. And ISIS, without that name, were the ones, the foreign fighters, who were supposedly with us. Now we're turning and we're saying, wait a minute, ISIS is bad, but Assad let us bomb ISIS. Why the change of heart? Because we weren't able to attack because of Russia? It's straight out of George Orwell, the way you know, the sides just changed. But I do not believe there's been a change of heart. There's just been a change of tactic. Because, you see, Assad has said, well, thanks for your offer of help, but anything you do, you have to coordinate with right. us. We will regard it as a violation, as a hostile act, if you just come in and start bombing ISIS. And that's what I believe the pretext is. Uh, America's not going to do Oh, it. so you're harboring terrorists. That's, that's the new technique. You're harboring terrorists if you're not allowing us to bomb them. Well, or once we start bombing, Syria say, wait a minute, you, you, these operations you're c conducting, you're violating our sovereignty. We didn't approve this. So that could bring, in other words, once the fighting force is there in proximity with, with Syria and in Syria proper itself, it's a simple matter at that point to just uh, bring Syria and America into uh, uh, into conflict, because Assad has been very clear: we we will not tolerate people coming in to fight ISIS, you know, on their own without coordinating uh, with us. And 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 if we undertake some action in Syria itself against ISIS, you could be sure Assad will not be consulted, and this will create big problems. But the goal is to get us over there and then induce us into fighting uh, Syria, which is a very simple matter. I mean, Israel could just, you know, they, they could just stage a false flag against their troops. But uh, I, I mean, the goal is, to, is still to overthrow Assad. ISIS is just a pretext to get us in there and that can grow into something else. And that's my biggest concern in the next few days, uh, Mike, false flags, because people they don't learn from the history. They don't learn from what happened during the Spanish-American War or the Vietnam War or even the ship that the Israelis attacked during their seven-day war and they pretend that they didn't do it and they 
you know, they didn't recognize the, the, the ship. And uh, a lot of the people, family members have been put into a, a uh, you know, silence to, to not talk about that. But right now, in the next few weeks, we see the media talking about 11 all the time. A couple of days ago, 11 planes were lost in Libya. Then we have uh, the southern border completely porous, and they're talking about how ISIS can attack, and the attack is imminent. What are they telling us in the yeah. next few days? Well, it, this really has all the indications of the preparatory psychological work for something. Oh, God, I hope I'm wrong on this. Something horrific uh, because of the same pattern we saw leading up to 9-11. Um, A pattern of ineptitude. With all this. Yeah, there was, there was all this talk about, you know, uh, uh, Al-Qaeda and how dangerous they were, and they blew up the embassies. Uh, so, you know, by the time 9-11 happened, the, the people were already prepped. So now we're being prepped. It's ISIS, 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 and they're, and they're coming to America. And, of course, the NSA, which monitors every phone call, every email, you know, they're, they're not able to pick this up. And, you know, they, they weren't able to even uh, notice the development of this, uh, this deadly secret army. I mean, how ridiculous. Uh, but it, it does seem as though we're being psychologically prepared for something big. And, you, you know, the way the American people just accept everything without questioning, I'm quite certain that if there is a major false flag attack in America, again, uh, there won't be any problem pinning it on this uh, fictitious, semi-fictitious uh, ISIS so we're going back to World War II. I mean, we had broken the Japanese code, so we knew weeks before we have we 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 were monitoring their conversations, so we knew they were coming. And I think, and and believe me, a lot of people who are listening to us, especially the 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 elderly crowd who was at that time, I think one of the biggest traitors this country has ever seen was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Because he was the one, because of the bankers, he was taken. And, you know, some people say that in the end he may have regretted it, and uh, I've heard that he was killed. I don't know if that's true or not. But then again, you have uh, everybody's complaining about Hitler and about Putin, but then you have Harry Truman, who was a member of the Ku Klux Klan, Ku Klux Klan in 1922. So it's all about a matter of perspective. But right now, with this, 1999, we had the project for a new American century. We need, we needed a new Pearl Harbor. We have Victoria, uh, Victoria. What's her last name? New, 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 Victoria. Well, uh, her her real name is Noodleman, but she goes by Newland. Exactly, exactly. So she's back in Ukraine. Uh, she has a lot of influence there. Then we have the puppet Poroshenko in Ukraine and. Julia Timoshenko, can you repeat what she recently said about killing Russians and nuking them? Yeah, that was uh, that was quite disgusting. Let me see if I can pull up the, the actual quote here without having to uh, uh, paraphrase it. Uh, because it's, it's definitely... And, and keep in mind, I mean, this isn't some nobody saying this. This isn't some, some just dismiss and say, well, people will say things. I mean, I mean, this is a former prime. This is one of the biggest players. Page 92. Page Ukraine. 92. Gee, she's a billionaire. Uh, page 92 of your book. Okay. Here we go. 92. Okay. This, this comment was actually taped uh, by the, uh, the Russians, presumably their intelligence service, and then, they, uh, and then they released it and played it. And she acknowledged it. So, uh, she actually said this, but let me see. Does that turn the top of the page or the bottom of the page? Yeah, it's, uh, it says, I'm going to read it. It's about time we grab our guns and kill, go kill those damn Russians together with their leader, Putin. I'm ready to grab a machine gun and shoot that MF in the head. And she keeps, keeps going yeah. on and on. Yeah. yeah, right. And she says, I hope I will be able to get all of my connections involved. And uh, of course, that means America. And I will use all of my means to make the entire world rise up so that there won't even be a scorched field left in Russia. She's talking about a nuclear war in Russia, make no mistake. And when she talks about her contacts, uh, I have some pictures there in, in, in the book. Uh, you see her with Merkel. There's a picture of her with Hillary. Uh, so she's our girl over there. Um, 
So when she speaks, she's not speaking for herself. She's speaking for NATO. So her threatening Russia with nuclear attack is really the same as if Obama himself w- would have said it. So, exactly. I mean, that's what we're dealing with. We have uh, psychopath puppets in Ukraine doing the dirty work for the, the psychopath puppets in Brussels, London, and New York, and Washington. And we have so much more to discuss when we come back. But I have to tell you, as I told you offline, you know, I used to be one of those people who reacted a certain way when people talk about World War II and they discuss Hitler and even Putin. And it wasn't until August of 2008, Mike, when I changed my mind, when I started really looking into history and looking at what happened, especially in the in the former Soviet Republic of Georgia with uh, uh, South Ossetia and Abkhazia. When I saw what happened there, that during the Beijing Olympic Games, Olympic Games, the Georgians, with the assistance of the United States and Israel, were actually the ones attacking to provoke Russia because those two regions are protectorates of Russia and it's mostly ethnic Russians. Russia came to assist them, just like Hitler went to assist That's the right. Polish in, in uh, the Germans in that uh, in that uh, uh, the, the western western part of uh, East Prussia. So the same thing happened there. That's when it changed my mind, especially when I saw a a, a little girl. On Fox News, when they were, yes. do you remember that? They interviewed her and she said, Absolutely. that was like a, a, a hack in the system. They went, oh, we have to go to commercials because she says, wait a second, the Russians came to protect me and my family. And boom, they went to commercial. But we have to go on a break right here, right now. Mike, how can people g- get this book and learn more about your research? Okay, have a look at tomatobubble.com. And it's very simple on the front page. There's there's a link to my periodic updates. Then there's a link to archives. And then there's paid PDFs and books. And there they will find uh, all of my works. But this one was formerly titled The Talented Mr. Putin. It still says The Talented Mr. Putin on the website. Uh, also The War Against Putin. They could, they could find it on Amazon as well, The, the War Against Putin. But I would definitely recommend to, to, to your listeners to bookmark tomatobubble.com. Uh, because I, I feel the work is very unique, not not because of what it uncovers, um, but in the manner in which it is uh, simplified and broken down into very clear and concise pieces that anybody can digest. You can spend a few hours there and really gain an enormous understanding of the world and how it uh, works. So uh, you can go to tomatobubble.com, uh, but for the book itself, War Against Putin, you can go there or find it on Amazon. The War Against Putin, what the government media complex isn't telling you about Russia. Now, folks, if you think you'll ever see this in the History Channel, think again. This is the real History Channel that you're listening to right now. This is Mel Famergas, and you're listening to Veritas. I'm here with my special guest, Michael S. King. Please, don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important interview. To listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back. Enjoy.
This is Jim Trafficking, right here on Veritas. Beam me up on Veritas, Mal. Always willing to talk.